You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go and get started. And uh, good morning to you, and thanks for being here. It's an honor to be here with all of you. It really is. I'm uh, truly honored that you would show up in the morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, as you can see from your notes. Before I pray over you, um, if you go to Stonegate, remember this Sunday, things are different. Uh, Services are 9, 11, and 1. It is because of the Super Bowl. There is no spiritual reason behind it. It is 100% because of the Super Bowl. So for anybody who, you know, just telling you, okay. Did you change your times because of the Super Bowl? Yes. Um, That's just what it is. Um, We've tried years before to not have church, I mean, to have church and you know, tell everybody that Jesus is more important than football, but I'm just not sure of that. So um, we have, uh, we, some of you are like, that's not funny. Well, it is if you just get over it. So anyways, um, 9, 11, and 1, we do not have evening services, and so hope you can make it. Don't come to 11, by the way. We had 1,360 people in the auditorium at 11 o'clock last week. We only have 1,300 seats in there, so come at 9 or come at 1, that'd be great, and then have a party um, Sunday night. That's really the reason we do it, is, is so people can get together and uh, have some time together and, and not feel guilty because the people are sitting at church. Let me read a couple of quotes to you. I keep a box in my office that uh, I keep cards this size, and whenever I come across a quote, if it's I'm in a doctor's office or somewhere, I'll rip the page out of the magazine or type it in my phone. Anytime I come across a quote that I think I could use someday, I write it down on a card and then I file it away, and so I just kind of, I've been building it for several years, and then if I'm asked to give a speech or anything like that, like for instance, this quote I'm about to read you, I used it at a particular uh, speech in 2006, so I know when I used it and different things like that, and you start building a library of quotes. If you have little children, little kids, grandkids, start building a library like that for them. Uh, one of the great things you can pass on to your children is a large library, And also you could pass on to them quotes for living. But here's a couple I just uh, sort of went through yesterday. This one's on character. It's by a man named Henry Ward Beecher. He said, men think that God is destroying them when he is really tuning them. Let me uh, read that to you again. Men think that God is destroying them when really he is tuning them. And then I love this quote by Mark Twain. It's uh, in the category in my file cabinet, I have it under the status quo. And he said this, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. So anyways, uh, just a, another way you can grow your leadership library is to uh, keep that, uh, just a file of growing quotes. And I've tried to do it digitally. For those of you that think you need to get with the 21st century, and it never doesn't work for me. It's just better for me to put it on a card, file it away in a box. The box has a lid. I can take it anywhere I need and just start filing those things away. Well, let's pray together. And then we will be in Mark chapter six. And what you can probably have already seen from the notes is one of my absolute all-time uh, favorite stories in the scriptures. Father, thank you for this day. I'm humbled by the men who are here. Uh, when I think about uh, the sacrifices Uh, for them to get up and trudge over to a church campus. Uh, It's an honor. It's a humbling honor, and I thank you for it. 
Would you please open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word? We're gonna read a story today from your scriptures that most of us, at least in one way, shape, or form, have heard. Uh, For those who have been around Stonegate for a while, they're probably tired of hearing me talk about it. Um, But you mentioned this story in every single one of what we call the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and would you awaken us to what you wanna do in our lives and through our lives with what we consider to be the limited resources of our lives? Again, please open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. Prepare us in the next few minutes uh, in heart and in mind and soul, so to speak, to be the preachers you've called us to be today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark chapter six, I put a little paragraph in your notes there for you. This is probably, um, of all the notebooks I have in my office with teachings and sermons and notes, this is probably the largest notebook I have. Uh, it is my favorite story. Uh, I, really, the reason it's my favorite story is I would have you keep your place in Mark 6 and turn over to John chapter 6, and I'll show you exactly why this is my favorite story, this feeding of the 5,000. So keep your place in Mark chapter 6. Go over to John chapter 6, and same story, just told a little bit differently. And as John tells the story in John chapter 6, it's the fourth of seven major signs in the book of John that uh, will be referred to in the book of John. But I'm just gonna take you, skip down to verse um, five, verse five. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where will we buy bread so these people may eat? And then this verse six is really why this is my all-time favorite story in the scriptures. Jesus said this to test him For he himself, that is Jesus himself, knew what he would do. And so you can go back to Mark chapter six, but again, the reason I love this story is very simply because Jesus had something great in mind. And his his probing question, hey, where are we gonna find some food? How do you think we're gonna do this deal? He already was just waiting for an attitude and a heart that was ready. And of all his disciples, no one was. There wasn't one disciple that stepped up and said, you know what, this looks impossible, looks like something you should do. And he just, and the next thing you know, he does this amazing miracle that, uh, oh, we'll just walk through it. Let me read the paragraph to you. I know you've already read it, not to insult your intelligence, but I have lost count the number of times I've referenced or taught through this story in all four of the gospels. Nevertheless, I'm always excited when the opportunity presents itself to reexamine this challenging test and miracle and its ramifications for my life. Uh, I am tempted to apologize for covering it again, but in this instance, I recall a currently unused but once great phrase of the past, Get over it. So anyways, Mark chapter six, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus. Now remember, they had just returned from the magical miracle tour. Uh, Jesus had sent them out two by two and they went out doing miracles, healing people, casting out demons. I mean, they were doing everything. So remember what they just come back from. Jesus had sent them everywhere and they just came back from seeing God do amazing things. They wanted to talk about these stories and it was an exciting time but how quickly they lost perspective about the fact that Jesus never turns away from an opportunity to bless the people for the glory of God. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus, told him all they had done and everything they had taught. And Jesus said to them, why don't you come away by yourselves to a desolate place and let's rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. 
And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. There's that phrase again. The word great crowd is all throughout the book of Mark. He went ashore and saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, the very, the most, really the most practical thing. This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him what any of us would say. Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Depending on who you read, that's a lot of money, basically. Some people would say it was a half a year's wages or something like that. It wasn't just pocket change. They were saying to him, that's not possible. That is financially not possible for us to do this. And then we'll pick up when Jesus says to them, so how many loaves do you have? Why don't you go and check and see what you have? When they found out, they said, we have five and two fish, five loaves and two fish. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Interesting choice of words that Mark says green grass. I, I, I happen to think he's referring to Psalm 23 when he says that. Uh, he, he doesn't say, you know, most of us would probably just say, hey, go tell them to sit down on the ground. And for some reason, uh, Mark says, tell them to sit down on the green grass because the shepherd is about to take care of the sheep. So there's no theological significance to that. I'm just, it was interesting to me that he says the green grass. Very, very hard thing to say if you were trying to do this miracle in Midland. Anyways, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing. He probably did say a very traditional blessing, a Jewish blessing over the bread. Um, uh, many times when, when we were in Israel, we would ask our guide to bless something, bless the meal. And he'd say, what do you want me to bless? You want me to bless the wine? You want me to bless the bread? You want me to bless the, bless the meat? And we're like, I don't just bless something. And uh, I had a Hebrew professor who would always uh, pray a blessing over a particular thing that never seemed to work over the test. But anyways, he would do that. He said a blessing, he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them as well. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the, and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, more likely something around the neighborhood of 7,000 plus if they had wives with them or families with them, lots of people. Number one in your notes, gonna make you fill out blanks again. So as a follower of Jesus, I'm always in a season of preparation or opportunity. As a follower of Jesus, I'm always in a season of preparation or opportunity. We've talked about this before. It's not news to you, but it bears repeating. Where is the Lord pressing in on you? Because as a follower of Jesus, I'm always in a season of preparation or opportunity. We've used this phrase over and over again. There are no neutral moments. In this moment today, the day that God woke you up, again, Psalm 139, he did wake you up. Your days indeed are numbered, very hard to reconcile sometimes. He did not wake you up this morning for the neutrality of the day to just pass by. At some point in this day, you are either seizing an opportunity or he is preparing you for the next. There is no moment that he's checked out on your life. I'm saying things you've heard me say a hundred times and I, I wrote it in my notes. Patrick, where is God pressing on you? What is he pressing on your heart? 
What is he asking you to engage? Who does he keep putting in your presence? Who do you keep passing in the office? Who is the person that's irritating you the most? Who is the person that God's putting in front of you to step into their life and work in their lives? How many of you has God brought you through terrible times, very difficult times, hurtful times? God has comforted you and now he's put someone in your presence that according to 2 Corinthians chapter one, you are supposed to comfort. Every man in this room, without exception, and that includes you, the one who's sitting here going, no, that is not me. You are either in preparation or you are standing at an opportunity you're supposed to seize without exception. So the question becomes, is my prayer one that says, God, open my eyes. We've been learning on Sunday morning that wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. Am I saying, God, let me see this from your perspective so I don't miss the opportunity. Look at the disciples. They just came off the Magical Miracle Tour and there's thousands of people that have no way to meet their need. And when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, what do you think we should do? Their question, their answer is send them home. And it's the same way you are in in the community you're gonna be in today. You're gonna be working with people, you're gonna be around people and you're either gonna be like I was when I was in business paying no attention to people around me just competing or you're gonna realize that you are actually working because that is the place where God has placed you to demonstrate Jesus. There is no compartment in your life either, remember that. As a follower of Jesus, there is no such thing as my Christian compartment and my work compartment. You are a follower of Jesus that labors in the marketplace to demonstrate Jesus by the way you labor. It is always a season of preparation or opportunity, which in fact, I would ask you to write on your piece of paper, which place do you think you're in? Preparation or opportunity? Understanding, be careful before you write. Because many of us put preparation because we don't want to admit the opportunity he keeps pressing in on us. And so we go, oh, I'm just on time preparation. When you know good and well, there's an opportunity the Lord's calling you to see. So be careful, but I, would, I wonder where he has you in that regard. Let's keep going. Number two, seasons of opportunity often exist outside my reasonable plan. Seasons of opportunity often exist outside my reasonable plan. And I use the word reasonable because many of you are planners. I consider myself a planner. All of us are planning in some way, shape, or form. We're planning uh, what we're gonna do tomorrow, what we're gonna do next week. We're planning retirement, different things. And although it's easy to pick fun at the disciples, it was a plan. It was late. They'd been there with the people all day. There was nothing outside of the everyday plan that would be any different than to say, hey, these people ought to go somewhere and find a place to eat. That That was very reasonable. And I don't mean reasonable in a bad way or a good way, a very neutral way. Hey, Jesus, it, uh, it would seem to us to be a good idea that you send people home. And for many of us, we do a lot of planning. And the one thing the Lord has to, uh, the hardest thing he has to work through is our plan and our timeline and what we have planned and what we want to do. The Lord really doesn't have the right to, in in our opinion, interfere with my plan. And at some point I'll give him what I have left over. I wrote a couple of notes that maybe some of them will help you with. You know, the disciples were tired. They'd already done much. And um, I was joking with you guys over here at the table over here about praying about it. And, um, And I wrote in my notes why they hadn't even stopped to pray about it yet. And I, some of you have heard my spiel sometimes on praying about things, but, uh, I do kind of feel like oftentimes we in the church who've been in the church a long time, uh, one of the ways we avoid seasons of opportunity is because we, we've learned that we're supposed to pray about it. 
And, and what I mean by praying about it is someone will say something to us about the kingdom of God or about doing a work and we'll say, you know what, let me pray about that. And, and that's really oftentimes just, a, it's a Christian way of saying, I'm just not sure I wanna do that yet or that lines up with my values yet. Because then when, when the person comes back to you and says, you know, I've been praying about it and I really feel like the Lord has shown me I shouldn't do that. I mean, the conversation's over. And how am I, what am I gonna say? You, oh, I'm sorry, the Lord told you. So, well, I don't care what the Lord said. You need to do this. And I, you can't argue that fact. I was sharing with a group of people the other day. They said, well, how do you pray for things? And um, again, you know, I, there's a huge opportunity here. And what I'm pointing at is mo most of the time we pray about something that seems to be outside the plan. And I'm not sure the Lord consults our plan. But I've had people ask me, how do you pray for things? And I, I really pray about very little. I pray for things. I pray for people. I have a huge list of things I go over and pray for. I have prayers for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and, and then daily prayers and so on and so forth. But uh, I was sharing with the seniors, which some of you may not want your senior to be with me anymore on Wednesday nights. And, and I said, I, I really don't pray about that much. And the reason I don't is because I told you guys before and I handed you a copy of my constitution. There are 13 things I will give my life for. I blame Andy for the last three. I will risk more. I will leave more behind. I will contemplate more. And, and so when, I, um, when something comes my way and I know that my life is lining up today with the values I've chosen to live and die by, if it meets one of the roles that I feel like in my time with the Lord, I have identified as a role that is critical in my life right now, there's a 99% chance I'm diving in and trust the Lord to shut it down. You may say, well, do you talk to your wife? Well, sure, I talk to my wife. But we kind of pretty much operate on the same basis. And does that mean you get busy sometimes? Absolutely. But I don't want to miss something because I've got an excuse of trying to hear from the Lord. Now, don't hear me saying stop praying about things, but I'm pressing in on you. This is how I live my life. But I am pressing in on you because most of us, when the opportunity is financially amazing, we don't pray about it. But when it is spiritually demanding, we pray and fast about it. Think about that for a minute. I mean, when the deal is the deal and it's good, and whenever it's gonna benefit me and that we are gonna win with this deal, we just say, thank you, Lord, for this amazing opportunity. But when the Lord steps up and an opportunity presents you, that pushes you at the core of your being, but it demands the most of your soul and the sacrifice of your resources, somehow it's become a matter of prayer. Tell me where that comes from. And the next time you pick up your Bible and start reading Genesis through Revelation, take out a pencil and start circling how many times when great things happened through men and women of scripture, they stopped and prayed about it and that pencil will stay sharp for a long time because they knew exactly what they would live and die for. Daniel didn't say, you know, I, I see the king's edict. Let me pray about this one for a little bit. He just knelt and he prayed. Through the book of Acts, it says that Paul was trying to get to Asia and they finally realized the spirit said, you're not gonna go there. And they went the next direction. You know, what we pray about oftentimes really, really displays our heart. What we don't pray about but do displays our heart as well. So just in your own mind, think about the opportunities you jump at but won't pray over, but the things the Lord puts in front of you that we think we must pray over. Number three, seasons of opportunity usually press against my preconceived notions or ideas. 
Seasons of opportunity usually press against my preconceived notions or ideas. Very simply, I must learn to see the world the way the Lord is seeing the world. My perceptions are oftentimes very, very, very wrong. And even my perceptions sometimes of what I think helps are wrong. This is very apparent if you've ever had the opportunity to travel and work in third world countries or even in in areas stricken by great poverty. And my perception is if I just give them things, it gets better for them. And that's just wrong. A lot of times there's a book out there that called Helping Hurts. And my perceptions are if I just give them what I have, it'll help them. And oftentimes the issues are much deeper than that. Uh, One of the places where my perceptions were very wrong was in the area of dealing with people with same-sex attraction. I believe homosexuality is a sin, but I believe oftentimes it's still the sin that we just... It's the worst one. I mean, you can, you can be a recovering and repeating alcoholic. You can be a recovering and repeating, um, you know, porn addict. You can be a recovering and repeating drug addict. But you cannot be a recovering, dealing with it and repeating same-sex attraction struggler. And, you know, I learned most of you know who Mike Geeky is, and he taught me the most about that. And so sometimes my, I don't see the situation the way God sees it, and I need my eyes to be open. And the disciples did not see the situation the way that Jesus saw the situation. Number four, seasons of opportunity are often quite obvious. Seasons of opportunity are often quite obvious. I think I took the quote out of your uh, notes. Again, seasons of opportunity are often quite obvious, but there was a name for the region. It's kind of interesting as you dig in a little bit more. The region where they were, where this miracle occurred, was, was referred to as the region of hunting. It's called the region of hunting and searching. So imagine, now you have this picture in your mind that this region they're standing in is known as the region of of searching or hunting. Jesus has this huge crowd there and now he's going to meet the obvious need. And guys, there are some obvious needs around you as well, some very obvious needs. And I think sometimes we see the obvious needs and say, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm the one that needs to get involved in that. Maybe you should press into it. Maybe you should press into it and see if there's something that you can do in the issue. When the Lord shows you something obvious, don't run away from it. Number five, seasons of opportunity require all that I have, however limited I might at first consider all that I have. Seasons of opportunity require all that I have, however limited I might at first consider all that I have. Verse 38 in this story, he says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found it, they said five and two fish. There's an interesting dynamic in Midland, and that is when, it's requ- when it requires all that I have, there's really two extremes. I don't have much, and I don't know what to do with much. That's usually the extreme in Midland. And when I don't have much, I often think, do I have anything? And I, I'm being called by the Lord to say, okay, this is all I've got. This, these are my limited resources. And here's the excuses you use if you have limited resources. Well, I just don't have that many talents. I don't have that many abilities. Would you quit crying over yourself and feeling sorry for yourself? Just quit. Quit doing this. I'm just no good. I don't have any talents. I'm just, I'm just one of those guys. You know, I just, I'm just this. Shut up. Just recognize you're a creation of the Lord. He's given you abilities and talents and quit feeling sorry for yourself. And say, Lord, I want to be used however you want to use me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made and I'm ready. You can have my five loaves and you can have my two fish. 
You can have it all. You can have whatever I've got and just show me who to get engaged with and how to get engaged. The opposite extreme is when the Lord touches it and you say, seriously, Lord, that much? You want that? Yes. But also realizing that when I'm a person of great resources, it's sometimes easier to pay for ministry than it is to do ministry. It's sometimes easier to trust someone else to do it than it is to get dirty in the nursery with kids or to go somewhere and get involved in people's lives. So there's a tension there you're gonna have to struggle with. Um, I think I've shown you this before, Matthew chapter 25, you're really close. I hope you'll look it up with me. Just turn back to the left a little bit or open your Bible again, Matthew chapter 25. The whole part about me telling you guys to quit feeling sorry for yourself and making excuses for your limits and all those kinds of things is simply because the, the Lord is not looking at you saying, man, that, I really, I didn't do very good on that one. Um, he, he doesn't say that about you. He, he doesn't look down from wherever heaven is and whatever it looks like and, and say, Peyton, wow, that's a do-over. And, and so that's not the way he perceives you and, and your life. And, and that's just straight out of Psalm 139 for him to describe you as fearfully and wonderfully made. You cannot, in fact, um, you know, I, I think people talk about using the Lord's name in vain. I actually think that's almost, almost using the Lord's name in vain when I ridicule myself. And when I say things about myself about how unqualified I am, because of what I'm saying is, hey God, right here, you messed it up. That's what I'm saying. And so look at Matthew 25. I just want to show you um, verse 14 and I'll read verse 14 and 15. It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Look at this. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. I think that's an interesting phrase. Now that story of the pair of the talents is, is discussed in the gospels in various ways. But Matthew's the only one that tells us he has given you what he expects you to use for what he expects you to use it for. Every man in this room has been given, and this thing, talents is money, but the resources for what God wants you to do. The question is, are you stretching them? Have you stretched them? Uh, one of the quotes I almost, well, never mind. So I, I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna let that one go. Number six, seasons of opportunity always work toward blessing others through resources never using people to maximize resources. Seasons of opportunity always work toward blessing others through resources, never using people to maximize resources. I hope you'll think about that quite a bit. I'll read it again with you, just to let it kind of sink in. Seasons of opportunity always work toward blessing others through resources, never using people to maximize resources. I uh, you know, have a few employees in here and, and I still am marveling over this folder I'm, I've been able to build of the, the, um, the dreams. I've asked them to tell me what their dreams are. And uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing journey. You ought to see this folder. And right now, what I'm getting from most of our employees is they'll, they'll do a do-over. And you know, I've asked them, what's your dreams? What's your dreams? And, and again, it's a soulish exercise to get you to think more outside your head and where the Lord might be moving you. And a lot of them will do do-overs. Um, I'll rat out Leon up there. He sent me one. And I sent it back to you, didn't I? And, I? and Leon sent me his dream. And I said, you're making this up. This isn't worth salt. And I said, so now give me something real. And so he wrote it back. And 
And so it's been, I got another one from someone yesterday and I'm building this library of people's dreams on our staff because really I just want to know what is it you gave up on that possibly the Lord's doing in your life or what is he stirring in you? And for those of you that are employers, quote unquote leaders, do you know anything about the dreams and ambitions of the people that work for you other than they're hoping for a good retirement? Do you know anything about the passions of their heart and what stirs them? You know anything about that? Do you, do you know, are you willing to find out what those are and see your place of employment as a place to launch them to something else? And if you say, well, I'm not an employer, so he's not talking to me. Well, how about the people around you? Have you asked them, what, what do you dream about? What is it you dream about? And the longer you have that conversation, the longer people think about you know, I'll tell you, this is, I've never told anybody this because they finally realize you're not getting at something. Maybe they trust you. I'll tell you something that I really thought about. And that happened yesterday. Somebody came up to me and said, you know what I've really been thinking about? And I won't tell you what it was, but they said, this is what's really been on my heart. And for some reason, people have shut down their hearts and, and seasons of opportunity. Are you using people just to maximize results or um, are you using them to see what God can do through the resources you have? I wrote in my notes, never forget you're always working with a soul, a deeply spiritual being. And if you're wired like me, you walk by souls quickly. Some of you are very soulish and very good at it. I walk by souls quickly. You, you understand what I'm saying by that? Like, does anybody know? Okay, some of you have walked by you, so you're like, yeah, we do, we do know. Um, but you get so focused and so intense that you're just, you're always thinking, why isn't everybody else as focused and intense as me? Does that, does that make any sense? Okay, we're resonating better. Or you go, why is everybody so lazy except me? Is that, okay, now we're getting even closer. Um, why is everybody not as good as me? Does that one resonate for you? Okay, and, and so you can walk by a soul pretty quick and, and then you're just, you're missing a soul. Last one, last one. Seasons of opportunity require real sacrifice, real action, planning, and effort. Seasons of opportunity require sacrifice, action, planning, and effort. I'll read those quotes to you and I'll fi finish up with uh, just a statement. God rarely reveals a season of opportunity or God moment until we are all in and often exhausted. He does not ask the unengaged, disconnected, and undisciplined to do great things. So if you're sitting around waiting on the Lord to show you to do something, the only thing I can tell you to do is get busy. Just get busy. Serve people. Serve people. Find something to engage in that serves people. He rarely reveals a season of opportunity until we are all in. And I will tell you, you'll probably be exhausted when he shows you an opportunity. And you'll probably be busy when he shows you an opportunity. And then the currency of opportunity has readiness on one side and dependence on the other. You realize the disciples weren't just gonna feed people with five loaves and two fish. They had to go all in, give him everything they had, depend on him to do something great through them. And he did. I was reading the story about uh, Tolkien. You know, the guy that wrote the, uh, what's that called? The Hobbit thing? You know what I'm talking about? Big O, big O, book. I mean, you're not going to sit down and read it in one night, right? And, and if you haven't read it, you ought to read it. It's a great read. And if you're not reading, you need to read. But anyways, let me tell you how he used to write that. And it, the reason I'm telling you this is how convicting it was to me because 
Well, maybe it'll be the same way. I want you to tell you why it's convicting to me. Here's how he wrote the book, um, the whole thing. This is how he wrote the whole thing. He wrote it freehand, okay? So get that one in mind, okay? So if you've ever seen the book, he wrote it with his right hand. And he wrote it in pencil, okay? Some of you have heard this story. It's amazing to me. So he wrote in pencil and he would write a few pages at a time after he'd gone and had a beer with C.S. Lewis, which is amazing. And so they would, he would write, which is maybe why he came up with the story he did. So anyways, he would write in pencil and then he would go back and read it. Then he would go back with ink and trace his pencil and then erase it. So all that was left was final manuscript. Now think about that. And his daughter said he wrote all his life until his right hand would write no more. And I think about typing a couple of pages on a computer. And this is just a fantasy. And yet the persistence and the sacrifice and the effort. And I wonder, what would I write in pencil over and over and over again? And go over in ink. What, what is so dear to my heart? What would I, and, and you know, with, with candlelights or dim lights, with, without a Keurig to go and just make an instant cup of coffee, what, what would I do? What will I do? And then again, if you're not a student of history and you read more history of people like, like Wycliffe and Tyndale and others who labored and labored and labored with vials of ink and quill pens, and we claim to be busy. When I can check my email now anywhere I am. When I can do reports anywhere I happen to be. And yet in a place when they could not travel, mail was snail mail at best by a pigeon and all these other things. What am I writing in pencil that is so valuable with my life that finally I'm gonna write over in ink that will last and I would submit to you, it's a season of opportunity. The Lord is pressing in on your life that is required of you. And it is above and beyond what you would require of yourself or even expect of yourself. And I would also finally say this, most of you in this room still doubt God wants to do something large in your life. Most of you doubt that God wants to use you significantly. But remember, being used significantly might just be the one person's life you speak into. It might just be one person's life you speak into. And I, and I told you the story, I, I told you again and again, but I still, I've watched them start passing away now. Um, three of my mentors growing up have, have passed away. Again, another one this past year. And, and I've stood at their gravesides and, and stood next to them as they've passed away and whispered to them, I've never been able to get back in time uh, to see them before they pass away. I always get a call that says, uh, Dan Quentin is, is dying and I flew up to Oklahoma to see him. And, and I sat in his room, his hospital room by myself and he'd passed away and I just wept and wept and wept. And I whispered to him, I know you're like, he was dead, I know. Um, and I just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Dan Quentin never taught a Sunday school class. He never taught a Bible study. He just showed me what a man looked like. And the big man, Gene Burgess, who just passed away, the big Indian, big gray-haired Indian, he's the guy that when I was running from the Lord at 19, I'm telling you these stories because these are opportunities. Because when I came to his mind, he could have just said, that's just that punk 19-year-old, I'm not gonna drive over to his house. But he drove over to my house, walked up to the front porch, knocked on the door, sat on the couch and said, Patrick, you know the Lord requires more of you than what you're giving him. 
there's more for you, don't quit. And he walked away, went to his funeral and uh, hugged his wife's neck and his daughter and his son and, and got to see them. See, big things oftentimes are just the little things you're doing, but don't miss the season of opportunity. Do not miss the season of opportunity because whatever is feeding 5,000 for you might not look big to me, but it might be very big in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Father, you know I love this parable. It's not a parable, it's this miracle story. I do not want to miss these moments. I begin to wonder in this phase of life if these moments are not, well, I, I think they're just, they're oftentimes much smaller in appearance, but much larger in impact. And so, um, would you just give me and, and each man in this room who will heed the call to their own lives, the eyes to see a situation the way you want me to see it. May I not be limited in what I think you can do with limited resources and, uh, and be able to step, step back and, and see that you have done something great that I would have never imagined. Please help us not to walk by opportunities. And I know for me, I, I will have, uh, those opportunities will probably come uh, when I'm in fully engaged in, in my plan today. So help me there to back off a little bit and see something bigger. And so each of us, as we go through this day, may we, as I tell them each week, preach well by the way we work, by the way we speak, help us to be patient with each other as we're all learning how to walk this out and, and knowing full well that uh, there's nothing neutral about our lives, nothing neutral about this day. And where we are not walking as men of God today, may we catch ourselves quickly. And um, well, we just repent quickly. For those that are married, may they love their wives the way Christ loves the church. Cherish her, nurture her even if it's maybe a, a difficult season right now. For the young men in this room who are single and who are, um, I, I cannot imagine walking in their shoes right now, but um, give them wisdom. And whether you have someone right ahead for them, for them to join in marriage, uh, whatever the situation might be, might be, may they walk as followers of Jesus boldly as single men as well. Thanks again for this day. Thank you for letting us gather freely. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. See you uh, next week. Have a, a great, great day.